welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Uh, I uh, grew up, my parents were both school teachers, and this is hard for your mind to get around, but it was many years ago. They had a combined salary of $4,400, and we lived in a rent house, and all three kids slept in one room, and my mom and dad slept in another one, and then, of course, little by little, as the world changed, we kind of moved up into houses that were a little bit bigger, but you really grew up with this sense of, uh, my dad grew up during the Depression, and you had this sense of the value of money. And so uh, I remember the first time I thought of being generous, and I'm going to talk about the, the genius of generosity. And I'm in my, you know, late 20s, and by this time I've kind of heard the basic teaching of the Bible. I didn't grow up as a Christian, so, I mean, my first few years just getting to church was, like, amazing. You know, like, I made two times this month. I just, you know, way to go. And, you know, people were talking about the power of God's Word, and, you know, like, maybe two or three mornings I would... You know, I'd read the Bible, and I would want to do better. And little by little, as I got around people and their lives, it was so attractive. And those things became a part of my life. And Teresa and I found ourselves pastoring a, a little church of about 35 people in the rural part of Texas outside of Dallas. And if someone said, are you generous, I would thought, well, in, because of my background, generosity was for, like, the Bill Gates and the Warren Buffetts. Or like if I ever made it in pro baseball, or if I started a company, or if I, in the Silicon Valley, if I got my, you know, if I went public. Now, someday, someway, if I got really rich, maybe win the lotto, then you can be generous. Or like I was, if I was like Mother Teresa, either you had to be really rich or have this amazing big heart, big heart for God. And, and I'm like, don't get me wrong, I didn't want to be stingy. I was brought up that you should be, you know, kind and sort of in general open-handed. But generous was like, you know, the few, the proud, the Marines, the generous. I, w I didn't qualify. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, I just thought, well, you know, someday if, you know, like my heart grows, maybe in 20 or 30 years I'll have a big heart for God. And maybe someday when I have a lot of money, well, then I could be generous. And I didn't realize that I was thinking completely wrong about generosity. And all I can tell you, I have to tell you the story of the amazing John Savile. This is an absolutely true story. Uh, imagine uh, I'm in a, a little rural town, and I don't say this pejoratively, but it was as redneck as it could be. I grew up in the suburbs, and this is outside Dallas, and people have guns in the back of their pickups, and people put uh, tobacco and spit it into Coke cans. And uh, it was an interesting environment. I had to learn to love people that were very different. So if you imagine going from that to Santa Cruz, those were my first two pastorates. So God knew I needed to learn to love everybody. And um, so I met John Savile, and he came to Christ late. He was in his mid-70s. We have nothing in common. Uh, he's absolutely not cool. I was 28 at the time, and being cool was kind of important. And he was, like, very uncool. And he said stuff like, you know, something like, praise the Lord. And I just would cringe, like, oh, my gosh, please don't do that in public. And so um, he was the chairman of the elders, and he said, I'd like you to come down and have lunch or something I want to share with you. So we have a non-air-conditioned car. He says, now, you have to have a sport coat to get in. Oh, wow. So I have one. And so I'm sweaty in my sport coat, and I get to this big 
glass building, and I go up, I don't know, 36 floors, and I walk out, and it's all wood, you know, mahogany, and Mr. Savile be with you, and, and then I looked on the sign, it said, Savile Dodgen CPA, and I realized he owned the thing, and it was like two floors of a big building, and he walks out, good to see you, and and so we get in a glass elevator, we go to a top floor, and we walk out, and you can see all of Dallas. It's all glass, and even had a couple racquetball courts. Pretty cool. So then we come, and we sit down, and I get a menu, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of nervous because he's the chairman, and I've been there about a year, and he's watched my life. And so then I get a menu, and it's my first time in my life. It was a menu that had, I always look, see, the, you grew up like me, you don't look at what you want, you look at how much things cost, Right? <laughs> And then figure out of what they cost, what are you going to get? There weren't any price tags. And I said, Mr. Mr. Savile, he goes, it's John. I said, no, no, Mr. Savile, where are the prices? He goes, this is the kind of restaurant, if you have to ask, you're in the wrong place. And he says, do you like filet? I said, filet what? He says, a steak. I said, yeah, you know. So we had this amazing lunch, and we get into the end of the lunch, and John says, okay, I have a, I want to make a secret pact, and you have to promise not to tell anyone. You don't have to do this but I'd like you to. He says, uh, I have a desire. I want to help poor and hurting people. I'm a wealthy person. God's blessed me. I came to Christ way late in life, in my late 60s. I've wasted most of my life, and I really want to help poor people. You have an opportunity. Uh, Where we lived was uh, a lot of poor people uh, of various ethnic backgrounds. And then he, he took this little white box, and he put it in front of me, And he said, I want you to open that. So I open the box, and I pull it out, and there's a sort of a brownish-red checkbook. He goes, open that up. And I opened it up, and it said, Pastor's Discretionary Fund. He goes, go to the back. So I went to the back, and it had 5000. So he put $5,000 in this checking account. He said, here's the secret pact. I want you to pray about it, but I'd really like you to do it. I want you to take this checkbook, and I want you to put it in your back pocket every day. And I want you to walk around asking the question, who would Jesus want to help? In fact, who would John want to help? And wherever you feel a prompting to help someone, I want you to write him a check. This is back when people used checks and cash and things like that. And so I've got this, and I'm I'm driving back, and I'm thinking to myself, well, man, I don't want to mess up, and he's the chairman, and I probably ought to do it, and then it might even be fun. And so I got, you know, when I come in my house, I put my keys, my wallet, and this checkbook. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And so, you know, it was in there for the first few days. And my first experience was in the grocery store. And a lady with three kids. And have you ever been where there's someone's, they're deciding what they have to put back in the cart, right, because they can't afford it? And she seemed overwhelmed and tearful and you know, I overheard, found out her husband left her. She doesn't have any money. I would learn later she and the three kids were, were going to drive across the state to go back to be with her mom. She has no money. He's left her. And I remember kind of watching this going, hmm, I bet John would like to help her. I think Jesus would like to help her. And I just walked over and I said, ma'am, ma'am, you know what? Why don't, why don't we just take all these things and why don't we just go ahead and take care? Oh, no, 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 no. This is, I'm on assignment. I really have to do this. And so I write a check and I pay for it. Oh, thank you, thank you. And then she kind of walks over slowly to the car and I have this thought, "Uh uh-oh, she doesn't have any gas. She can't get home. I said, "Um, excuse me, you know the 7-Eleven right there? 
you don't have any gas, do you? She said, no. Well, I said, go, just pull over there. And so she pulls over there. And here we go, write another check. Man, this is so fun. You fill her car up with gas, and she hugs me and the little kids, you know. And, and then pretty soon, I mean, I'm, I'm having story after story after story after story. And I've got this thing. And pretty soon, every day, it's like, hey, I wonder what I'm going to get to do today, you know, you know. And I mean, I just had a blast. I mean, unwed mothers, poor people. Um, I just could tell you story after story after story. Uh, you know, a family had their electricity and their water shut off, and we fixed that. And, and then about every uh, four months, once a quarter, or once every, I guess it was every three months, John would call and say, let's have lunch. And we would sit down, and John would say, okay. He goes, we want the filet and the lobster. I never had lobster in my life. Okay. You know, and we leaned back. We'd have this meal, and we, it, was a, it was a feast, and we'd celebrate. And then John, would, he said, hey, do you have the checkbook? Yeah. He goes, okay, tell me, okay, $189. Tell me about that one. And I would tell him the story. And, I mean, this is exclusive. I mean, this is everyone's ties and very formal Dallas. And I would tell the story, and John would go, praise the Lord. Like, I'm literally that loud in this restaurant. And I would want to go under the table. And then I would tell him another story. Praise the Lord, you know. And John had a sign on his car. It said, it said, I'm a fool for Jesus. Who are you a fool for? And he was an unusual character. But let me tell you three things that happened from my relationship with John Savile. Perspective. Rarely a day went by that I didn't think of John. Every need raised the question, what would John do? Now, think about this. This old, crazy, uncool codger and this 28-year-old, I was very athletic. He was not. It just, and, and, and somehow, I'm thinking about him every single day. The second thing that happened was I strangely became more meticulous about his checkbook than my own. As Teresa will tell you, early in our marriage, we didn't have much money. I mean, very. And if it was like $20 off and the bank statement was this and mine was that, I'm thinking it would take me five days to figure it out. I, they're probably right. You know, close enough. That didn't go over well with my wife, but I thought, I can't. I mean, he's a CPA firm. I mean, I can't, like, it's got to add up. And so now I'm, I'm real. I became very faithful with his money because I realized it's his money. And the third thing that happened was John and I became best friends. He bought extravagant lunches, and I told him extraordinary stories of our quarterly celebrations. I started sharing, hey, John, you know, you've been around for a while. I'm having a little struggle in my marriage here. You know, what do I do about, you know, my kids here? And pretty soon we, we had a bond and a heart relationship. John was godly. He was not just generous. He was really godly. And pretty soon I realized I want to be more and more like John. And, and the thing I would, I would say to you is there was no obligation. It wasn't like, oh, I'm giving away a lot of money. I must be super cool or righteous. And, and it wasn't like I have to do it. It was like I was on an adventure and I was on this adventure of spending someone else's money that brought him incredible joy, brought me incredible joy, and we became best friends. Can anybody start doing the math yet? Can you extrapolate? Do you realize that your time, every talent you have, everything you own, every bank account really belongs to God? And he, he, with a smile on his face, he says, 
I'm giving it to you, and I'd like you to think of it like it's in your back pocket, and let's go on this adventure together. And I mean, it completely changed my view of generosity. And so let, let me do something, because I didn't de define those words well. The word genius, the root word is, literally means to produce. It's the personification of quality. It's, uh, it's either a great natural ability in a particular activity or a high level of intelligence, you know, like the guy who invented blockchain or Einstein in physics. And, and the word generosity, the root meaning, are you ready for this? It means someone of a noble birth. See, in the old days, if you were a king or a queen, part of nobility, you had this obligation to be magnanimous and be generous. It's, uh, it's the idea of to give and to share, to be unselfish. The Hebrew word for generous means to saturate with water, to saturate something with water to overflowing. And the Greek word for gen uh, generosity means to distribute freely. And so what I wanted to share was a little picture of four reasons why it's not just smart, it's genius to be generous. Uh, here's the big bright idea. The bright idea is this. To be smart, spend carefully. To be wise, save regularly. To be genius, give extravagantly. So let me give you the four reasons. Reason number one is generosity blesses our lives. It changes our lives. It enriches our lives. Uh, the very last words of Jesus aren't in the Gospels. Did you know that? It's in Acts. The Apostle Paul quotes him, where Jesus is quoted as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more the people who are happiest, the people who are enriched, the people who experience God's favor are people with a focus that's outward and who give. Uh, the Hebrew writer uh, says, a generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed, Proverbs eleven twenty five. And so all I can tell you is that pragmatically, generous people are happier people. You know, the root word for um, miserly is a miser. You know, if Christmas is coming up another month or so, you know, Scrooge and all that stuff. There's all kind of research now. People who are generous have lower blood pressure. People who are generous have higher levels of happiness. People who are generous live longer. People who are generous have more deep and better relationships. People who are miserly are more miserable. In other words, if the Bible didn't talk about generosity, dumb people would be miserly and tight, and smart people would be generous. Have you ever thought about it like that? Um, this is the Silicon Valley. It's the most educated place in the world. My question would be, are you a smart person? Or, I'll let you fill it in. The second reason, not just that it blesses our lives. I mean, it's, it's the ultimate win-win proposition. I mean, whenever you give something, you feel good. Whenever you give time or talent or money or concern, the person receives it feels good. So you feel good, they feel good, and God feels good. And so it, it just blesses everyone. The second reason is generosity connects us with others. There, there's something, I don't understand it, but when, when I give to another person, it connects our hearts. 
uh, I pastored in Santa Cruz for about 12 years, and just because of, you know, the church and demands and, and kids and family time, I just learned to somehow, I had to get up super early and do my studying super early. And so I did it at a little coffee shop that opened about 4.30, and they made bagels, and they would put on one big thing of French roast because we were friends. And I would get there at 4.30 or 5, and I would see all the different groups come in, and about 7.30 or 8, then I'd leave to work knowing I got the hardest part of my day done. And every day I would walk in, and there was a, a homeless guy. He either lived in his car or he lived behind 7-Eleven there on SoCal Avenue. And, I mean, if you've ever seen one, you know, when you look right in their face, it's like, this dude has done drugs for a lot of years. You, you know, like, no matter how old they are, they look, like, really old and, like, really washed out. And, and I would walk in every day, and I later learned his name was Mike, and he would sit there like this. And you know, you know me, I'm pretty outgoing. Hey, how you doing? Everything okay? Never said anything to anyone. He came in. Sometimes he bought something. Sometimes he just sat there. And, you know, the little lady that became my friend, she was like, you know, I'm not going to say anything. He looked pretty scary, honestly. And so, uh, you know, this goes on for months and months and months. And so I'm, uh, I'm getting up. I got my coffee and got a bagel. And I'd been there for a while. And I got up. I said, hey, Mike, you want a cup of coffee? No response. Mike, you want a bagel? No response. I'm sick and tired of this guy ignoring me. Give me an extra cup of coffee and a bagel. Hey, Mike, here's some coffee and here's a bagel. I mean, I don't even get a nod. Just And so uh, I go and sit down and think, well, so much for that. And sit down, get studying again, and then I hear, do you realize this star is only seen one time a year for approximately 37 days. It's Mike. I said, what? I said, no, come here. See that right out the window? There was a window. That's Venus. And he began to describe, you know, all the prejudging you have of where people are coming from and they're scary and this and this and that. And he begins to tell me things. And I learned that his kids were taken away from him. I learned he, some bad things happened. He was in an accident. He had, used to have a great job. He, I found out where he slept. After that, every single morning, Mike and I would sit down for a little time with coffee. Are you, you know what? It cost me, now, it was a little different. It cost me a buck and a half. I shared $1.50, and it connected me with Mike. That's 25 years ago. 18 months ago, I got a call out of the blue from a social service worker and said, some fella named Mike so-and-so says he knows you and he needs your help. Uh, he, he did a minor infraction, and they're going to put him back to prison, and, you know, he's not dangerous and everything, but he needs a reference to see if he can get early parole. And so this lady calls me, and she starts telling me about this relationship that I apparently have with this guy that cost me a dollar and a half, and maybe I spent 10 or 15 minutes most mornings talking with him because no one else cared. Do, do you understand that when you give it blesses your life and others, but it connects you to people. And I, I recently, literally, I was flying back on a plane, and the social worker said, because they needed another recommendation that, you know, he'll be okay in Santa Cruz. And I, you know, I've, I wrote the judge, I haven't seen Mike in a long time, but he's harmless, and I think he's really an okay guy, and I think you ought to let him, you know, he doesn't need to be in prison, and they let him out. 
all I want you to hear is that let's complete, being, being generous is genius. It's not smart. It's not wise. It's genius. The third and maybe most important reason is generosity helps us invest in what matters most. We're all making investments every day all the time. We make investment of time, investment of money. Uh, you know, we live in the capital of venture capital, and, you know, they're looking to make the right investment where there's a good return. And Jesus says um, in Matthew chapter 9, open your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or whatever you use, and I want you to follow along because I want you to see verses 19 through about 25. And it's an interesting passage, but I used to look at this passage in a way that was like, my, my view of the whole generosity thing was, I didn't hear generosity or smart. I heard obligation, I don't measure up, and if I give this, what about me? I mean, that, that's sort of how I grew up. And, and Jesus is basically going to say, you need to invest in what matters most, and let me give you some wise counsel about the kind of things that have a good return and the kind of things that have a bad return. Have you found it? Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. He says, do not store up, and if you can underline it, or at least mentally, for yourself treasures on earth. Well, why? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So in other words, don't, don't store up all your treasure here on earth because there's a lot of liability. But store up, notice again, for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then here's the axiom. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, negative command, positive command, timeless principle. And then he gives a little commentary. He says, if your eyes are good, the, uh, the, eye, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so what, what he basically says here is that, look, you need to invest your time, your treasure, and your money and your talent in the things that can have the greatest return. If you focus only on where you put it here for yourself, uh, does anybody remember 2008? I do. Uh, half of my retirement was gone in 24 hours. What, what, what he's saying is, you, if, if you put all your hope and all your treasure here, um, man, that's a dangerous investment. You've got to have a diversified portfolio. He, and, and, and then Jesus... I mean, this sounds kind of simple, but I'm going to say it like this because I don't think we get it. Jesus actually believes in heaven. Okay? I say that because most of us pragmatically don't. See, pragmatically, we think it's, you know, some little, you know, you're going to float around on clouds or something. We have no idea what heaven is like. The whole gospel message, the arc of the gospel message is not. It's not that... Uh, Jesus came from heaven, died for our sins, and wants to scoop you up and take you up there. The gospel message is Jesus came to restore what was in the garden, and he started a kingdom. And there's this kingdom that is forcefully moving of people who are light and salt in the midst of a dark, perverted world, and we live it out 
And we go on this journey of the kingdom coming, coming, coming. And then he comes and fulfills his kingdom. And yet, if we die early, yes, there's this intermediate heaven. But the story is heaven comes down. Jesus, heavens came down to earth. Ultimately, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And are you ready? There's going to be culture and life and songs and responsibility and work. And, and what he's saying is there's a bank account for you up there. And he says you can send it on ahead to the bank of heaven. And what you can know is your ROI is going to be excellent. And see, he actually believed it was a real place that he was preparing, that real people go there, and it really matters where you put your money. So he says, you know, temporal investment, eternal investment. You decide. And then he says spiritually why it's so important is because wherever your money goes, that's where your heart will follow. Um, this passage has two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. Did you notice that? Two treasures, heaven and earth. Two eyes. He says the lamp of the body is the eye. What, what, what's the eye do? It gives guidance and direction, right? Your eye tells you what should I do, where should I go, it's how you see. If your eye is good, the word is haplos. Literally, it means if your eye is singular, if your eye is focused, it can also be translated, if your eye is generous or liberal, you'll be full of light. See, when your focus is, I want to bless and help the mics of the world and you know, it's traffic, and you, know, you hate those people that go around everybody, and you don't want to let them in, and, and all those little moments where you can be kind and, and generous, he says, you're full of light. But if your eye is bad, the word is poneros, it's the same word used for, it means evil, or there was an idiom called the evil eye or the bad eye. If your eye is stingy, if your eye is focused inward, he says, you'll be full of darkness, and then he says, so you've got two treasures, you've got two eyes or two foci. And then he says, because at the end of the day, you have two masters. And, you know, sometimes, uh, whether it's a broken bone or whether it's internal bleeding, remember, you go into one of those long tubes, MRI, right? Bong, 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 right? And what the MRI has the ability to do is see inside your body. It can actually see organs. And what your money is, is God's MRI. I can sing songs. I can talk about community. I can pray prayers. I can tell Jesus, I love you so much. I love you so much. And here's what he would say. Show me your money, and I'll show you your heart. And the heart is deceitful above all else. Uh, I, was, I was telling Ryan, uh, when I've taught on this before, every now and then I'll have some crazy idea, and this was a crazy idea. I went to a shopping center with a clipboard, and I tried to kind of look official, and I would walk up to people and say, excuse me, I'm not really weird. I'm taking a survey. It's a very important survey. I, literally, I don't want anything. It's a yes or no question. Will you just respond because this is a very important survey? And people would sort of back up and, well, okay, question, would you consider yourself a generous person, yes or no? Well, let me take it right now, just for you, okay? In your mind, you don't raise your hand. Would you consider yourself a generous person? Now, what I can tell you is, I, and then I, then, I, then I did it at the church, and I got exactly the same results. Um, 8.7 out of every 10 people considered themselves generous. Now, that was really interesting because I happened to pastor the church, and what I knew is that 50% of the people that attended our church didn't give anything. And what I happened to know is I did some research and I found out that in the body of Christ now, 
Those people during the time of the Depression per capita give more than Christians do today. So what I think is, I think it's just one of those deals where the enemy's got us thinking that we're generous when we're really not at all. And then here's the other one. If you ask people, I didn't do this on a survey, but this is anecdotal. Um, If you ask people, are you rich? Are you rich? Are you rich? The answer is like 90% of the people, no. And what, what we do is, when are you generous, I think of people that are less generous, and I say yes. When someone says, are you rich, I think, well, no. I've literally asked this question to a guy that I knew was worth over $100 million. He said, no. He said, Bill Gates is rich. See, what we all do is we find someone who's the next level or two, and we project, I'm just whatever. And, And so what that does is that sets us up unconsciously to be miserly. And Jesus says, don't do that. I want to free you. In fact, generosity, the fourth reason, not only does it bless your life, connects you with people, makes good investments, generosity frees our hearts because our hearts always go where our money flows. It's the mirror of our devotion. Uh, A number of years ago, I was reading through the Psalms and and the Proverbs, and um, you know, if you read them carefully, they really talk about widows and orphans a lot. And I don't know, have you ever just been reading the Bible and realize, you know, I think God really cares about orphans. I don't. I, I mean, now, if you ask me, of course I sort of have not I mean, how can you not care about an orphan? But in terms of my time, my money, I, real, I, I don't care. See, your beliefs are not what you think. If you ever want to know what you believe, here's what you do. Just look at your behavior. Do you really care about people? Look at your behavior. Do you care about orphans? Look at your behavior. Do you care about your neighbors? Just look at your behavior. Because the deceitfulness is, yeah, I wave to them. I say hi here. And, and it's really, this principle was so powerful. Uh, Teresa and I have a friend that is doing amazing things with orphans in Zimbabwe. And we just kind of analyzed our giving. And, honey, I can't remember, six years ago, seven years ago, eight, I, I can't remember. We started giving to orphans. I can't, you know what? I love orphans. I care about orphans. I pray about orphans. Of all the checks we write, we get to write different checks to different people. It is so exciting. And then I get these little pictures, and we actually went and visited them. And I still remember this little girl. Are you ready? Her name was Blessing. These are abandoned kids in Zimbabwe. And there's all these little homes with a couple people living in them and six or seven girls and teaching them a trade and they come to know Jesus and this little blessing came up and she got on my hip and for reason, I think it was just God, she just put her arms around me and I just walked around and here's how they're doing with the chickens and here's what they're doing and here's what they're learning and I just thought, you know, I think I'm the richest man in the world. You see, give and it'll be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, back into your lap for whatever measure It means the size of that you give. The Lord delights. He just keeps uh, refueling those. You know, I I failed to tell you, and I would give that money away. Well, John's money. And then uh, we would have our lunch. And then about every six months, you know, you get your bank statement. 
boom, I have $5,000 again. It, no matter how much money I gave away, always $5,000, $5,000. And see, God looks at people, and some people are dams, and some people are streams. Dams are where things accumulate the water, in it, and some people are streams. And when God can find a stream, you know what? He just keeps refilling. He keeps refilling because it delights his heart. And, of course, it delights yours. Well, if this is so smart, are you ready for this? Why in the world isn't everyone generous? I mean, on the pure logic, I mean, yes, of course, what the Bible says, of course, what Jesus modeled. He that was rich for your sake became poor, that you might be saved through his poverty. That's Jesus. That's what he did. But if this is so logical, if it makes sense, if it's pragmatic, if it's a good investment, if you want to be connected to people, you know, when I look at this, I think to myself, so why aren't all of us like super generous? Let me give you three reasons and maybe a step to help you take the next baby step to become more genius than you are. The first reason is because wealth is powerful and deceptive. Remember Jesus' story about he's the son of man and the word of God is a seed and the seed is sown on four different kinds of soil which represent the four different kinds of hearts. And, and some of the seed is on the hard path, the hard heart. Some is on the shallow path, the, the, the shallow heart. Some is on the thorny soil. And then some is on good soil that's honest and good and reproduces 30, 60, 100 fold. The third soil is thorny. And does anybody remember what the thorns are that grow up and choke out the truth of God's word in our heart? Yeah, the cares, distractions of this life, and the deceitfulness of riches. See, the, the thing about being deceived is the person who doesn't know it is us. <laughs> I mean, I'm, you can be completely convinced I'm good. I mean, I'm, real, I'm good with God. I'm good with people. And actually believe it. But he says what happens is money deceives you, and the fact is you're not good and you don't grow. One of the key things that has to happen for real spiritual growth and transformation is God has to have the conversion of your heart and your life, and then he has to have the conversion of your wallet or your pocketbook. And when that happens, it opens the floodgates. The second reason that it's so hard to be generous is because of the lure of mammon worship. Um, money says it'll bring success. Money says it'll bring significance. Money promises to bring security. Right? I mean, we just sat down with our financial planner, and, and it's his job, Teresa reminded me, because I'm going, are you kidding me? And he was, you know, I, we keep changing what we're doing. He goes, well, you need to work till you're 75 now, and if you give that money away, you're going to have to work till you're 80. Well, I plan on working anyway, but I know you have to have a good plan. He said, now, here's what you should do with this amount of money. You should put it over here because then you'll have enough money to live to 100. I don't want to live to 100. But I mean, that's his job, okay? That's his job. But, but you see, we're all being taught that you deserve a break today, so you ought to get to retire some way, somehow. I think you ought to change and be open. You know, like right now, I'm thinking, literally, I'm thinking, God, I think the most productive years of my life are in the windshield, not the rearview mirror. And, I, and so, God, what do you want me to do? 
And, and so what, but what, but what all the world tells me is you better have enough set aside for this. And, and you know, if, if you're ever going to, you know, buy a house because, you know, the, the whole world rises and falls with if you own a house or not, right? And it's very difficult here. But that's what really matters. You realize there's a lot of people that own their houses that have really bad marriages, not good relationship with their kids, very few friends, are very lonely, highly depressed. And if they could trade all that and not own a house, they would say, I do it in your New York minute. While the rest of us are arranging our lives so that, oh, if I could own a house or I could do this, what about my retirement? Now, the scripture is clear that savings is wise. The scripture is clear that you need to be wise and have some investments. And the scripture is clear you should, you know, whatever your income is, you should have more come in. It's a, it's a novel thought. The government doesn't believe this. But the novel thought is that you should have more come in than goes out because debt will kill you. But it's really hard to be generous when there's all these messages that, boy, if you release this, you're going to go without. Mammon worship. I mean, did you ever think I, I'm an analyst of commercials? I love to watch, I mean, some commercials I hate, but I, I watch them because I always analyze them. I think, where are they trying to tell me now that I'm inadequate and that if I don't buy this or buy that? Do you realize that every commercial that you're bombarded every day with you don't measure up and you need this to be okay. I mean, if you just had a purse that had that insignia on it, I mean, if you had a watch where people know who you really come from, if you had, you know, if your teeth were just four shades whiter, <laughs> people would be lining up to date you. Your mate would get up every day and say, let's kiss, baby, man, you have got white teeth. <laughs> if you would drink this kind of beer, blondes are going to jump into your red convertible. <laughs> I, I mean... And you don't think about it, but what happens is bombard, 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 bombard. And pretty soon we're thinking, I need to control, I need to own, I need to have. And all those are lies. You are valued, redeemed, loved, significant just for who you are. You are the son or the daughter of the king of kings, and he has fully committed himself to take care of you. And he is the most lavish, generous person in all the world. And part of his goal of generosity is that you would be a stream through which God's spirit and love would move out to other people. And they would scratch their head and say, why would you ever do that? And pretty soon, your good works and your generosity keep pointing up to him. And they get to know him because of you. And here's the, here's the cool thing. John and I became best friends because I stewarded John's money. Over the years, Teresa and I have become better and better and better friends with God as we learn to steward his money. And, and it's just saying, so what would you, I mean, if it really is yours, what, do you, what would you like to do with it? So last year about this time, we did the Above and Beyond campaign, and we were praying and thinking, and Teresa said, here's the amount I think we ought to give. And I went, gulp. Um, Yes, I think that's a great idea too, dear. <laughs> and, and, you know, it was so cool. It was such a joy. And, you know, a couple things happened where, oh, wow, this thing happened. And, and we were able to give over half of it this, this last year and look for it. God shows up in powerful ways. But here's the last reason it's hard. It's hard because wealth is powerful and deceptive. It's hard because of the lure of mammon. But it's hard because it requires faith. See, at the end of the day, generosity means I have to believe God. And um, 
sometimes you give and you don't know how it's all going to turn out. And I remember uh, my wife early in our marriage, we had learned to biblically give and we were doing some really good things. But sometimes generosity is taking a really big risk. And we were in seminary at the time and we had a, a neighbor who had a, a brand new baby and kids that were my older kid's age. And her husband walked out on her. And uh, she uh, had no money. Uh, they were going to kick her out of the apartment. Uh, by the way, for men here, marry up. It really helps. So Teresa has this amazing idea that we should pay her rent so she doesn't get kicked out of her apartment. To which, being the pragmatist, I said, well, if we do that, and this is no exaggeration, we will have $10 left in our checking account, and we don't have a savings account. And she said, well, but our rent's not due for another 15 days. <laughs> oh, oh, what was I thinking, you know? So, so of course, uh, we did. And, um, and so the day came, and, and, and the money's not there. And, and, you know, I'm pacing, you know, okay, I, I quote verses. One, okay, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. It's due today, and where are you? Okay? <laughs> Teresa may have a lot of faith, but I'm still working on this thing, you know. And, and, you know, the second day comes, and I go over to the little place, and they say, oh, you have a three-day grace period. It's okay. The third day, I, I get an envelope in the mail. This is such an amazing story. And on the corner of the envelope has a, a football helmet with a G in green and yellow, and it said Lombardi Avenue. It's from the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I open it, and it's from a guy named Rich. Uh, I, six years earlier, I taught a Bible study at Santa Teresa High School when my friend there was the coach. This is like 30-some years ago. And he was the number one uh, quarterback taken in the draft from Berkeley later and out of the blue, he feels this overwhelming, hadn't seen me in six years. I teach one time at one Bible study, and he calls my friend Glenn. He goes, you know that chip guy? Every morning when I'm praying, I'm supposed to help him somehow. So Glenn gives him my address. On the third day, when it's due, Lombardi Avenue, I open it, and there's a check for $1,000. I could tell you 15 stories like that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Just here's, here's what I would say. Oh, Lord, am I, am I using your money the way you want to? Am I keeping track of it the way I did with John's money? And, Lord, am I, am I being genius? Am I, am I taking steps where... By faith, I break the power of mammon worship and the power of deception so that you really have all my heart so that you can fill me with what money can't buy, joy and peace. And then to look into the eyes of people who shake their head and say, wow, we have fresh water. No one cared about us, and now I go to a school in Haiti. Wow, you know something? At 12 years old, I was trafficked. I had been used and abused, used and abused by men. And people I don't know from some church that meets at some high school have paid for a safe place and delivered me from evil. People, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. Lord, we, uh, we can hear, but we really do long for the grace and the faith 
to believe you to the point of acting. Would you help us to grasp that it doesn't make us more spiritual? It's not just some onerous obligation, but the joy, the blessing, the genius way to live is to be on a journey to become extravagantly generous. Lord, I pray that for me, for Teresa, and for everyone in this room. Lord, for our good. Lord, for your glory. And for the thousands or ten thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that will be loved deeply because each of us take that step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.